bottle of wine is more than just a beverage. It's a time capsule that can take you back to another place and another time. Every bottle has a story to tell. About the person who first decided to plant the vineyard. About the years of pampering the grapes through good times and drought and bitterly cold weather. It's a story of sacrifice, celebration, purple hands, and sometimes purple feet. In that bottle, there's a story about a winemaker who did everything possible to achieve perfection. From the vineyard to the barrel, and at long last, safely secured beneath that cork. Every wine has the ability to speak to you. But to make sure its voice is heard, Grape Encounters Radio is here to help communicate all those endless stories that really deserve to be told. Here's your host, David Wilson. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow you might remember that last week we had on the show Nick Goldschmidt who really is a rock star winemaker but when it comes to rock star winemakers I love to talk about a winemaker named Adam Lazar because he is not just a winemaker he is a swashbuckler he knows so much about so much. He is involved in so many major projects that you are familiar with, but probably don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And we've only had him on the show once before, but I decided it was time to get him back on the show because last week's discussion about harvest throughout the world really only touched the surface because there is so much to talk about when it comes to speaking of Harvest 2015. So in the studio with me now is the lovely Adam Lazar. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thanks for having God, me God, I on. love having you come in here. <laughs> and you're drinking beer. I'm drinking. I've been <laughs> blending wine all day. Last thing I want to put in my mouth is anything made from grapes. Are there times that you just go without wine completely? Yes. I very rarely drink wine for pleasure anymore. You know, you, I've got a lot of projects, as you mentioned, and I'm in the middle of harvest right actually towards the end of harvest right now. So I've been tasting freshly fermented lots of grapes and putting a lot of blends together. I've got a lot of bottling going on right now. So really, at the end of the day, I have to, a nice cold beer is exactly what I need to get the taste of wine out of my mouth. And we're talking about a Sculpin grapefruit beer from yeah. Ballast Point. This, Isn't that delicious? This is great. Where is this stuff made? I have no idea. San Diego. Yeah. San Diego. Anyway, we had a good friend of yours in here, Nick Goldschmidt, last week. Oh, he's one of the best winemakers on the planet. I love him. It's funny because people know wine brands, but they don't necessarily know the winemaker, right. especially if you're just kind of a casual wine drinker. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something everybody knows. But a, a guy like him and you are, you know, he's just amazing because the guy's working on a number of different continents and changes gears constantly. And I don't think people know just how hard that job is. He is, every time I see him, which is frequently, he's usually getting off a plane or heading to the airport on his way to either New Zealand or South Africa or Argentina, Australia, Spain. Literally, he's a flying winemaker. I didn't think there was anyone that flew more often than I did and until I met Nick. So how often do you fly? I'm on the road about 30 weeks a year. Is that right? Yeah. So give us a rundown of the kinds of things that you're doing when you're on the road. You know, I'm out there supporting and marketing all of our winemaking efforts. Usually I'll meet up with distributors that, that sell our wine. 
wine. I might go out and do some winemaker dinners. I might go out and pour some festivals, really just to go out and support the sales effort. But uh, more importantly, just to get out there and give people an opportunity to come up and talk to me and get the real scoop on what's actually behind the wines that they love. You know, one of the things that I have said literally from the very first show that we did is you cannot fully appreciate a wine until you meet the people who make it. Because I really think, like it or not, a wine is really a reflection of the personality of the person who makes the wine. It just winds up in the bottle. And you get to know that person, and and then suddenly you get the wine. You know, I think in many regards, I know a lot of winemakers whose wines reflect their personality. And I know a lot of winemakers, unfortunately, who make great wines who are absolute bastards. But, you know, that's just... I I haven't met those people yet. You know what? I hope you don't have to. Well, winemakers generally, I think, as a group of professionals, tend to be some of the nicest people on earth. And if you don't know winemakers, you may have that sense or at least that expectation that they're going to be pretentious. And winemakers are maybe the least pretentious people that I know. I think there's some stages. I think uh, young winemakers can tend to be a little pretentious when they first get in the spotlight. But I think after you've been doing it for a long time, like I have, I think there's a lot of humbling and humiliating experiences. And and just the drag. And you go to sleep at night and you wake up at two in the morning wondering if your blend is just good enough and wondering if I got the yeast correct on the Chardonnay tank that I'm working on or if I picked the right barrels out for the Cabernet. And these are the types of things that's a constant drag on your emotions and your mental state, you know, because really you only get one chance to impress somebody. I mean, you, you're only as good as your uh, last bottle of wine. And most mistakes or miscalculations in winemaking are not fixable. Well, once it's in the bottle, it's not fixable. Well, not, yeah, once it's in the bottle, but I'm just saying in general, there are so many places where you can screw it up along the way. You know, the most important period in a wine's life is when you pick the grapes. A day's difference can make or break a wine. So let's talk about some of the brands you're associated with. You have worked with some of the biggest companies in winemaking on the planet, and you are responsible for a really well-known brand called Cycles Gladiator. Cycles Gladiator. And, and, and naked and, redhead on a bike. And yeah. it left you for a little while. Mm-hmm. It cheated on you. She went away. Yeah. Well, you know, that's oh, so, yeah, the, nothing she, ever it's, a, it's a female gladiator. She's a, well, you know, it's a great brand because at one point in my career, I was the vice president of winemaking for Han, and we had sold a brand that we started called Rex Goliath, the giant 47-pound rooster, which is all over the country now. And we wanted to replace it with something really fun. We had all these great grapes to work with. The Han line and the other brands above it were really specifically more Appalachian-specific. And so we wanted something really fun to work with and came across this old bicycle poster from about the 1890s. And at that time, there were probably about 150 bicycle companies in Paris, France, and virtually every one of them has the poster of a woman in either various stages of undress or, you know, riding through the vineyards up into the sky on a bicycle with a big grin on her face. Right. And what that was all about was that at that time period, uh, Susan B. Anthony had declared the bicycle as one of the greatest contributions to women's suffragette uh, at that time the world had ever known because a bicycle allowed a woman to get out of the house. It allowed her to get a job. It allowed her to get away from the kids and away from abusive husband, just essentially to be free, allowed her to travel. And that really struck a chord with us in the company. We were a real cause-based wine company at Han. And so we adopted that poster as our wine label. And I left Han in 2008, went to work for another wine company. And when I got picked up about a year and a half ago by the wine hooligans 
It's a company that was founded by Dennis Carroll, who was one of the founders of BevMo, a wine company. He called me up and said, hey, I'm really curious if you'd be interested in coming, working for me as my director of winemaking. And by the way, I'm looking at buying this brand from Han, and would you like it back? And very, very few winemakers. you said no, right? I I jumped on the opportunity because I love that girl. I love the wines that we made. So it was like getting custody back for your child. It is. For me, and I would imagine that most winemakers feel the same way when when you found a brand and when you start something from scratch and you build it and you put everything into it, you're really sad to see it go. I mean, I almost cried when Rex Goliath went away. We're talking to Adam Lazar. He, among other things, is the lead winemaker at Wine Hooligans and has his own brand, which is Lazar. Lazar. Which, interestingly enough, enough, as many of you might know, I, along with my wife, have a retail store. Best-selling wine in our store has been from day one, your Merlot. You You get Merlot, dude. You know it. And well, that's a testament to you guys, you know. No, no, no. You can't sell crummy wine. That wine is so good. And it's not what we were intending to talk about today. But Merlot is maybe the most misunderstood grape out there these days. Right. And it needs to make a big comeback. They need really to get some Hollywood agent to give it a makeover. You know, because it it deserves a lot more than it's getting. It got beaten up thanks to that movie Sideways. And, uh, you know, and up to that point, Merlot is the most popular red wine. And the problem is, is that when you have a really popular product, there's a lot of growers and wineries making substandard product because it's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Okay, Merlot is hot this year, so we're going to plant all of our vineyards to Merlot. Well, there are very few places that grow a really, really good Merlot. It's a cool climate. Grade. That is a fact, yeah. And it grows very close to places where Pinot Noir grows. And the one thing that that movie did was when Pinot Noir became popular, everyone ripped out their Merlot to plant a Pinot Noir. Well, the wineries and the vineyards that had really good Merlot kept their Merlot on the ground. And consequently, the result of this movie, and I predicted this years ago, was that the quality of Merlot was going to go up. Okay, and you could go back and listen to a dozen episodes of Grape Encounters where I've said exactly the same thing. You know, everybody says that Sideways really was the best friend of Pinot. And in reality, it was the best thing that ever happened to Merlot. Because the crummy Merlot came out, the people who really cared about the grape really focused on it. And the price for Merlot is ridiculously low. But you also pay for really good Merlots too, because it's very fastidious. It's uh, a grape that really needs to be taken care of on the vine. And for me, it's my favorite varietal. It's the one that I work the hardest on because people don't expect much when they buy a bottle of Merlot. I want my Merlots to really over-deliver. People always ask me what wine I would drink if I could only have one wine. And as much as I love Cabernet, really well-made Cabernet, I still like Merlot a bit better just because it's softer in the mouth, but it really is that iron fist in the velvet glove wine made right. Yeah, it's cherry cola. And if it's done correctly, it'll work with a a really wide variety of foods too. Yeah. All right. We're going to come back and talk about Harvest. Have in the studio today, Adam Lazar, who has been associated with so many amazing wines, not just here in the States, but around the world. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. 
When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. David Wilson is back with more Grape Encounters, and it looks like he's rated the wine cellar for something truly out of this world. Here's David. I know to you, it might sound strange, but I wish it would rain. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio. By the way, we're going to have on one of my favorite guests, Wes Hagen, in the next segment. But we've got a buddy of Wes's in here now. Adam Lazar, I don't think there is any winemaker on the planet that I could say that I respect more than Adam Lazar. I love his winemaking. I love his wines. He's associated with so many great projects, and I'm just grateful to have you in here, Adam. Are you almost done? I'm almost done, but I really appreciate the opportunity to get out of the winery and the vineyards for at least an hour. This is perfect. And drink a beer. And drink a beer, yes. So tell me where you are in the thick of things. You're doing some bottling. Bottling generally does coincide for a lot of winemakers with the harvest as well, right? Yeah. I mean, ideally, if you're a smaller winery, you try to get all of your bottling done, your tanks and barrels Just empty before, before right? harvest. Yeah. Some varieties like Syrah and Cabernet, you might want to leave them in for another year. But I make a number of brands that are national and international. And when you're making that much wine, you do not want to run out. You don't want to lose that shelf space. You don't want to lose that spot on the wine list. Okay. So what are we facing a couple of years from now when the 2015s get released in in terms of wine shortage, is there going to be a wine shortage? Yeah, there's going to be a wine shortage. You know, we had extremely warm weather early on in the spring, and uh, we got bud break early, which is, you know, when the green starts to pop out of the Norman vines. And uh, we had a lot of heat over the summer. I mean, you know... As we said, you're sweating in the studio, I, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still pretty warm outside. And there were a number of varieties, such as Cabernet Sauvignon and Petit Syrah, that were down as much as 80%. I know of a couple of vineyards that lost their entire harvest. I was out in a Cabernet vineyard, actually, the other day, out in southern Monterey County 
County uh, where I could just go down the rows and there were whole vines that had no grapes on them at all. Plenty of green, but just no grapes. Everyone got hit. Napa got hit. Sonoma got hit. It was uh, easily the earliest harvest we've ever had in recorded California history. Okay. So obviously people in the wine business want to put the best spin on things. Right. And we've heard a lot of people commenting that this is going to be a great vintage, albeit a very small one. Are you convinced of that? What are you thinking 2015 is going to go down as wine-wise in the annals of wine history? You know, it's a little early to tell. Uh, Generally, you can have a pretty good feel for the quality of the wines within a couple of days into the fermenter. You know, the color coming out, the structure, the numbers, the acid levels, the pHs. I'm not convinced yet. I review wines for the Central Coast for a large organization out of London. 2014 was a huge harvest and it was an incredibly high quality year. 13 was also great. This was a short harvest. I think one of the problems was that because it's such an early harvest, some of the early ripening varietals like Pinot Noir, like Chardonnay, like Syrah, some of the white Rhone varietals, Grenache Blanc, Viognier, may have suffered. I'm not completely convinced that they're at the quality level that we've seen in the past couple of years. So you're telling me that you really get a better sense about the wines a few weeks into the fermenter as opposed to when you taste the juice right out of the vineyard. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that, you know, the thickness of the skin, the flavors, yeah. the acid balance, the tannins. Now, that being said, I'm going to qualify that by saying some of the late ripening varietals, uh, when we had a cool spell, which were allowed to hang a lot longer, like Cabernet and Petit Verdot and Cabernet Franc, are probably going to be pretty stellar this year. And that's what I'm seeing. Well, I'm glad to hear that about Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot, because two varietals that don't get nearly the credit that they deserve. Mm-hmm. So this might be a good year to really take a look at those. Yeah, I've actually got Petit Verdot coming off the vine early next week, and I'm pretty happy with what I'm tasting in the vineyard. So going back to the harvest, you know, obviously everybody is trying to put the best spin on things that they possibly can, but something obviously went terribly wrong this year. And I don't think I understand it completely because we had three consecutive serious drought years Mm -hmm. on the West Coast, actually all over the world. There were problems on a number of continents. We can blame it all on Al Gore, I think, right? (laughs) If he hadn't brought up that whole global warming thing. You know, so it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might be alone in this, and and I'm going to throw this out here, but I think the drought here in California actually helped to improve the quality of the wines over the last couple of years, because really most of the vines are on wells. They're going to get their water anyway, whether it rains or not. And unless your well is dry, you have plenty of opportunity to water your vines. And I think that good vineyard managers, in the absence of rain, were able to really carefully measure out exactly what their vines needed, when they needed it. And uh, I think because of it, the quality, like I said, uh, coming off of the vines, uh, the berries have been smaller, so you get much more intense flavors. Yeah. Got a much better acid to sugar balance. You've got physiological maturity that is not just the sugar level, but when the grape is actually ready, it's going to deliver the best flavors and structure and tannins and things like that. And I think good vineyard managers were really able to carefully measure that and produce some really fantastic crops. So I wonder this, when it comes to subjects like sustainability Mm -hmm. and just being more efficient in growing crops, there's no question that in the past few years, the grape growing industry has been really leading the way when it comes to employing new techniques, new technology to really get the most out of the crop with uh, very little input. Right. Has the drought that we've seen for the past three, four years sped up the process of grape growers converting to new techniques and technology to be able to, you know, cope with these kinds of situations long term? Yeah, I, well, it certainly got everyone thinking, you know, grape growers as a whole, as the industry as a whole, we're very cognizant of uh, what we're doing to our soils. There used to be a lot of industrial farming 
practices. Yeah. They're just pour pesticides on and they'd scorch the earth. And we don't do that anymore. You know, a lot of the things that are important in the vineyard are things like cover crops, the grasses and the flowers and the things that grow in between the vines. And having a drought has really gotten people to think about what types of grasses they should grow. You know, the grasses are great because they will actually trap the salts that can come in and right. impair the quality of the wine, as well as bring in good and bad pests. There's been a real structural move in the industry to move towards sustainability. So kind of a double-edged sword in a way, because a lot of people took advantage of what seemed like a very bleak situation to really ensure better prosperity, better productivity down the road, right? Well, you have to do more with less and you have to be smarter. A lot of people don't take into account we're still an agricultural commodity. We're totally at the mercy of Mother Nature. We can't produce the same wines year after year after year. Every single harvest throws something new at us. And after 25 years of winemaking, I'm still throwing loops and just baffled at some of the things that I see in the vineyard and in the winery every year. I mean, that's what, one of the things that keeps it exciting is I'm not making the same thing over and over and over. There's always a new set of challenges. It's like playing poker, me. isn't it? You have to play with the hand that's dealt you. And yeah. I frankly have never met a poker hand I didn't like. You know, it's really not the hand that's the problem. It's how you play the hand that really matters the most. Can you give me in one minute your best guess about how 2015 is going to end? 2015 is going to end early. I'm going to be able to watch college football in my underwear on Saturdays instead of having to go out in the vineyard here pretty soon. It's going to be a short harvest. Fortunately, we had a large harvest in 2014. So the 2014 offerings you're going to see on the shelf and in the restaurants are going to be stretched out. It's going to be a wash. It will be a wash. Uh, 15s will probably only be in the market for nine or 10 months. And then uh, hopefully the 16 will be a a good prosperous harvest. So there's enough excess from 14 to compensate for the deficit in 15? I would say that it's pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. Okay. And you're not convinced that it's going to be a great year, but maybe certain varietals will actually prosper from these odd conditions. You know, I was one of the people that thought 98 was going to be a horrible year. And for several years, people agreed. And it turned out some of those wines are absolutely beautiful now. You know, I hope to be wrong on that. But again, it, it's I'm not completely convinced. All right, Adam Lazard, great to have you in. And if you want to know more about Adam, Google him. There's a lot to love about Adam Lazard. That's all I can say about it. You know, the more you know about his wines, the more you'll want to drink them. He doesn't put his name on anything that isn't terrific. All right, so Wes Hagen just arrived and is about to walk through the door. So maybe we can sneak in a quick sip or two while we're at break and we'll take it from there. Fantastic. Adam, thank you for coming in. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Grape Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero the gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. 
The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. Now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in Idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Hey, hey, I want to be a rock star. Boy, my two favorite winemakers in today, very excited about that. Just had Adam Lazar in, who is a rock star. He doesn't actually look like a rock star, though. He looks more like a pirate or a swashbuckler. But now in the studio, one of Adam's good friends and somebody that does look like a rock star, it is Wes Hagen. And Wes Hagen, formerly of Clopepe, actually still involved with the Clopepe brand, right? Absolutely. I'm still very supportive of the family business. And uh, my friend uh, Andrew down there is still selling every bottle we ever made. 2014 is the last vintage that we'll make under the Clopepe estate label, though. And that's it. That's it. Sad to see it go. Get it while it's hot. It's, uh, the wines are delicious and the 14 vintage is going to be quite good. Now you're with another brand that's an exceptional brand and you poured me something here which is really super good. Pinot Blanc? Pinot Blanc is the soul of the Jay Wilkes brand. Jeff Wilkes was the winemaker for uh, Jay Wilkes for 10 years before he passed away tragically in 2010. The family I work for now actually was Jeff's boss for 20 years, bought the brand and now it's been folded into the same brands. The Miller family uh, who own Biennecito, Solomon Hills and a number of other uh, fantastic wine brands. So Jay Wilkes is sort of a uh, ongoing sort of legacy and tradition showing off what Jeff Wilkes taught us, which is that Santa Maria Valley and uh, all the regions of the Central Coast really speak of time and place. We're uh, talking about California for those who oh, sure. may not be familiar with it. Do you have any idea how much Central Coast wine makes it to the rest of America? I mean, after all, at least 90% of the wine consumed domestically in America is coming from Santa Barbara. San Luis Obispo, Monterey, Napa, Sonoma, Lodi, Sierra Foothills. I mean, really, in a span of a couple hundred miles, that's where most of the wine in America comes from. And it's truly one of the greatest places in the world to grow wine. Just in Santa Barbara, we grow 72 different varieties in a 30-mile corridor, which is the most diverse wine-growing region by 30-mile corridor anywhere in the world. Interestingly enough, some of the most popular pinots that are consumed around the country come from the... Santa Rita Hills AVA, and that was actually an AVA that you helped to author. I did. I researched and wrote the petition to establish uh, the Santa Rita Hills in 1997 with the help of Brian Babcock, Richard Sanford, Rick Longoria, uh, the Parker family, Melvilles, everyone. And, and this was the AVA that became popularized through the movie, which you call Men Behaving Badly, with, but with so, no comeuppance. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, sideways. sideways. Sideways just had its 10th anniversary. And, you know, let's be honest, it did a lot for the Valley and it continues to bring people in. And Frank Ostini said something interesting from the Hitching Post. Uh, his restaurant was prominently featured in the movie. He said that that movie may end up being more important than most of the personalities that are still alive in Santa Barbara to help define who we were at the beginning of Santa Barbara's emergence as a world-class, famous wine region. All right. So let's get into the topic that we've been discussing for the past couple of weeks. Did you get a chance to say hi to Adam? Uh, not only did I see Adam, I definitely gave him the high five on the way out. And fortunately, I was expecting, you know, the spit guard on the microphone to smell a little bit like Adam. But actually, he is very <laughs> aroma neutral for such a rock star today. You might smell beer on the microphone because Adam readily admits that he drinks very little wine socially now. It's beer that he gets worn out on wine. That's not true with you. Well, no, I like to drink just about. I like to say I drink beer standing up, wine at table with food and spirits between table and the floor. <laughs> Okay. All right. So let's get into another aspect of talking about harvest this year. There's no denying the fact that the amount of grapes that were harvested, and harvest is for all intents and purposes over now, but the amount of grapes that have been harvested is well below, well below what is normal. And as Nick Goldschmidt pointed out last week, we're not just talking about California. We're talking about other continents as well. Mm. This has been a worldwide event, but no place has suffered probably as much as California. Has Why is it that when I read the wine trades and wine publications, so many wine advocacy groups feel a need to put such a positive spin on something that is anything but a positive story? And the headlines read, you know, delicious wines for 2015, you know, if you can get them. You know, some people are reporting complete and total crop losses. Yeah. Other people are reporting losses as great as 70 to 80 percent. Wow. And yeah. generally, the mean is somewhere at least around 30, probably even 40 percent, I'm going to guess. That's my guess. Why not just call it what it is? Well, I mean, I want to be the glass half full guy, you know. So let me say that a lot of these organizations are funded by people that want want those organizations to make the wine industry look good. We don't want to start calling 2015 a problematic vintage, but clearly it is. Is it a problematic vintage from quality? Not from what I've tasted. Have I tasted wines that are a little unusual? Yes, I have. We've been seeing in Santa Maria Valley a little bit higher pH and higher acid, which is very unusual. Normally, uh, you would see a low pH, high acid situation, but the pH, to get a little, not to get too geeky, but the wines have a little odd balance and they they don't have quite as much structure in the mid palate, but they got fantastic structure in the back end. Color, flavor, concentration, intensity, somewhereness, not a problem this year. Because the crop loads are so low and the vines are struggling so much after so many years of, of drought, what does that mean? Salts. Salts are coating the grape vines. Way down at root level, all that irrigation water is really starting to stress the vines because of all the salts that we've put in with the irrigation water. Why is it salty? It's salty because when you add irrigation water, that water that groundwater has salts in it. Salts from irrigation combine with the roots. Water that falls as rain washes the salts away. So if we have year after year after year about putting groundwater on these vines, the vines get saltier and saltier and saltier at root level. And you can imagine what happens with an encrusted root that has salt on it. It just can't do its job. So we've had three or four years of drought where we've had great yields. Finally, the vines have had enough. They're salty. They're tired. They're showing foliar symptoms of of being tired and having problems. The vines are shutting down earlier. The vines are losing color earlier. The grapes are ripening earlier. And this is the earliest harvest in the history of California winemaking. And what will it take for them to recover? Rain, 20 inches, 30 inches, at least. Monsoon. But what we need is two to three inch rain events and like 10 of them. 
So if we get 10 inches in one week, that's not going to do very much because a lot of that water is going to uh, erode some of the soil and just run into the rivers. Now, that'll help us recharge our water uh, table. But what we need for the vines is two to three inches in a week period and it to continue to rain like that. Slow, steady rain over a long period of time, 20 to 30 inches to get through the soil profile, rinse the salts away and recharge the actual soil where the vines live for the vines to be able to recognize that they've, they're not being slowly starved, uh, that they have a, a, a way to be healthy and a lot of the soil microbes and soil microbiology also has a chance to recharge because we really just haven't had natural rainfall on the central coast more than a couple inches a year uh, for the last four or five years. So well, well critical. Let's, let's talk beyond the central coast because, sure. I mean, we're talking about the whole state. Not only, yeah, in the state and we're seeing weather patterns being kind of goofy in the last, and I, notice I said weather. I did not say climate because until we have 10 years of this data, at least 10 to 12 years where we see this type of, of thing happening, we can't really talk about it being climate. Climate's over a long period of time. Our weather patterns are damned freaky and uh, really, really odd. And uh, of course, people want to jump to conclusions that this is a harbinger of something that is actually uh, a permanent change in, in the weather patterns. Well, we've had weird weather, but we haven't had weird climate. Once we have a decade of, of data to go back and look at, we can start talking about what's happening in the climate. Mother Nature works in terms of thousands of years, not decades. Exactly. And, and I don't have an opinion one way or the other on global warming because, like you, I think we need a lot more data. Right. Well, the data is scary. I mean, I, I see guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I really respect, seeing that far as uh, carbon dioxide levels, there has been uh, serious rises. Certainly, yeah. We want to be careful. There's no reason for us not to take care of the planet that we live on. Be vigilant right now. Absolutely. Of course. Err on the side of being reasonable. But for the wine industry, rising climate is going to be great for places like southern England. It won't affect, you know, Lompoc and uh, the central coast of California quite so much. But there's definitely places that are already hot that probably just one degree could be a severe blow to to their agriculture and everything else. So It's a lot more fragile than we realize. Talking to Wes Hagen, Wes was one of my very first guests on Grape Encounters, what, seven years ago, man. At least. And one of the most respected winemakers really in the industry. Anybody that's anybody in the industry knows Wes. He is a go-to person, author of three AVAs, which is a very big deal. To just do one is a monumental task. He's taken on three. And uh, if there's ever a question that I need answered, he's the person I'm going to call first. Right. And I'm always here for I might for call you. Adam, too, though. I, you know, I, well, I flip know, a coin because that's one smart guy. Adam's a cool dude, and he's actually probably, I'd put him in my, I've known hundreds of winemakers in my time. I'd probably put him in the top three for guys I like to have a drink with because he's one of those guys that keeps it real. If we're drinking great wine, guess what we're not talking about? <laughs> we're <laughs> not talking about the wine. By the way, the reason that I didn't have you both on at the same time was because <laughs> there was no way we would get anything done and today. If I put you would, both on, it would be you guys shooting the breeze and telling stories about each other that can't be broadcasted on the radio. Yeah, there would be spirits involved and probably we'd have to get an Uber back to wherever we were going. Adam's riding in the car right now listening to this guy. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters Radio and my guest, Wes Hagen. So glad to have him here live in the studio. And uh, a live Wes Hagen is better than a dead one any old day. Even on Halloween. All right, stay with us. Grape Encounters will continue shortly. If you're near a computer or have your smartphone in hand, join our Facebook group page by searching for GrapeEncountersRadio.com. David will return after these enlightening messages. Grape 
Safe Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. Why not get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that wine lover in your life? At WineTalkShow.com, you'll find an awesome selection of wine-related gifts and accessories that are not the same old, same old. From the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories. If you can remember WineTalkShow.com, you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap. We've got what every wine lover wants at WineTalkShow.com. back with more Grape Encounters Radio, the wine show that's absolutely, positively free. That's so you'll have a little extra cash to buy the good stuff. Here's David. And he pulled the wine, sweet as the ball of my daddy's still. And he pulled the wine, if you don't hear it now, I sure will. And he pulled the wine. I love when Wes Hagen comes to visit Grape Encounters Radio because he brings the good stuff. Wes Hagen, one of the most prolific winemakers I have ever met, a real genius, a real gentleman, and also a wine rock star. You look like a wine rock star. Well, now I'm Your sorry. hair just keeps getting longer well, and longer. I, I, I'm about ready for my yearly haircut. Really? I, Is that I, it? I really, Once yeah. a year? You know, I, I actually talked to my new boss to make sure he was comfortable with keeping my hair, and he said it's kind of part of my personality, and last thing I'm going to do is get a page boy or, you know, a mullet or anything. So I'm going to keep it at least collar length, you know, but I'll tell you what, I thought about just shaving it all off this summer. It was just so... Really? Like just, just so, going like with a shaved head? Just so warm. I could pull it off. You know, I'm not Samson. It's like I'm not going to be able to talk and make good wine without hair, but I've had my hair long almost, you know, kind of since college. The only thing I can say is that I don't recall seven years ago there being as much salt and pepper in it. No, I and I earned every single one of those gray <laughs> hairs, and most of them were due to Pinot Noir. Are you glad to be taking a little time off from winemaking? Well, you know, 
I'm the consulting winemaker at Jay Wilkes, which means I don't have but to. But you're do not doing all the barrel bucking and grunt work that you were doing. I, yeah. And, and yes. September and October were the first time in eight years I didn't actually stay up all night. It was great. It was great for me to recharge my circadian cycle, actually sleep at night, and I certainly did a lot less damage to my body. I did get into the field, taste a lot of fruit. I did a lot of barrel selection. We did a lot of checking up during fermentation, but uh, it was great having a winemaking team that I could go out into the market to sell the wine during harvest, knowing that the guys back home were making really, really good wine. So the same winemaking team is going to be making Jay Wilkes from the last five years moving forward. So the wines are going to have a very consistent sort of flavor profile. Pinot Blanc, very crisp. Chardonnay was just a hint of... You, you just poured me this Chardonnay here. 2013? 2013. We're God, just about good. ready to roll in. That is in. so good. It's got some really nice character. Just a little kiss of oak to remind you that it is a California Chardonnay. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So just giving it a little bit of richness, a little roundness. Uh, the Pinot Blanc is really crisp and bright, so we want the Chardonnay to be a little bit oaky and a little bit more broad. Beautiful, clean, uh, slightly mineral finish to it. It'll keep the people that want a little oak and butter happy, but it'll also keep people that prefer more Chablis or like a Merceau style. So it's classically structured with a little bit of a California sunny, sunny kiss. I, I want to say this, that if you're like me, and you're a wine drinker who's been boycotting Chardonnay for a number of years. I've stopped the boycott. Yeah. I'm done now. Good Chardonnay is back. It is. And it was gone for a while. You don't want to give it up. I mean, it's like giving up action movies. No, but it was, you know, it, it got to the point where it was like chewing on bark. Yeah. And it was really over-oaked, and it really wasn't good. And a lot of people put their foot down and said, not going for this. Then the winemakers got a little carried away, went the other direction. It was all unoaked Chardonnay right. for a while. And now we get three Chardonnay. Chardonnays. Very oaky, modestly oaky, and no oak at all. Which is nice because to me, there's no right or wrong way to drink any grape varietal. Uh, to me, someone who enjoys Rombauer and someone who drinks Chablis, of course, I would rather probably hang out with a Chablis drinker. But, you know, there's something to be said about every style of wine. So every consumer has the opportunity to, to drink exactly what they want. So, so let's talk about Chablis for a second because so many people will say, I don't like Chardonnay, but I love Chablis. Well, there you Explain, go. Explain, please. Because Chablis is made in concrete and stainless steel in very near from uh, Chardonnay bone. grapes. Exactly. It's one of the great French wines in the world. So Chardonnay suffers from a little dissociative disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. She can be extraordinarily lean and mineral. She can be a little bit racy all the way to being just a big, fat, happy marshmallow of a wine that just <laughs> is coated with sugar and oak. I heard you do another interview very recently, and you said something that I was so proud of you for saying, which is, let's just get off of this tastes like berries, tastes like this, tastes like that. For a guy who is so focused on the minutia of wine in a very good way, I was glad to hear you say, you know what, drink it if you like it. And don't get caught up in trying to describe it. The funny thing, if you drink with winemakers, we don't talk about wine. We talk about everything else. Great wine should lead to a conversation about everything except itself. Yes. I think the whole idea is we drink wine to make connections with each other, not to go back and forth about what you smell or what you taste. Look at Italians. Look at French people. They don't talk about the wine. They're too busy drinking it and talking about what they're passionate about. It's all about finding those moments that we can put our technology away, make eye contact with someone we care about, and use wine as an investment to keep us at table for an extra hour every day to reconnect. And in a perfect world, end up having us, you know, uh, maybe perhaps ending up in a romantic situation. Because wine reminds us very tactful. what nature wants, right? Okay. <laughs> and what nature wants us Wine reminds us of what nature wants. Okay, wine? we're not... We're, stop there. <laughs> Let's move on. Actually, you brought up the French. Yes. And it takes me back to the subject that we were talking about in the last segment. We only have a few minutes left. Sure. 
why is it that we are in California and on the West Coast so freaked out about the drought and not being able to get the kind of water to our crops that we used to be able to get? And in France, they're not allowed to water their grapes. A lot of the time, that's true. A lot of the AOCs do not allow supplemental irrigation because they have a continental weather pattern that just gives oh, them... so they get, they get this thing called rain. They get this crazy thing called rain, but they also get a crazy thing called hail. Right in the middle of summer sometimes, Chablis just got decimated by a hail just two weeks before harvest, and they lost a lot of their grapes in a lot of their places. So for me, California is an easy place to grow grapes as long as we get enough winter rainfall that recharges our water system so we can use supplemental irrigation because we grow grapes in a desert many of the time. I got a totally great idea. Yes. So what we do is we strike a deal with the Finger Lakes of New York because I'm always talking about Finger Lakes wines because I love them. I love them, love them, love them. But try buying Finger Lakes wines outside of New York. Can't do it. So here's the deal. We sign a pact with the Finger Lakes that if they will allow a pipeline (laughs) to go from the Finger Lakes to California and also let's throw in Oregon and Washington as well. But we get a pipeline out to the West Coast that we will aggressively support and drink Finger Lakes wines out here. That would be a fair trade, would it not? Absolutely. The problem with the Finger Lakes is the wines are so good, they drink them pretty much all locally. You know what's amazing about the Finger Lakes is you can go to the big wineries there. they got a 1,000 people there in a day. Yeah. It's crazy. They are so supported by their local community. That's it. And they, I mean, not to say that we don't, but they blow us away in terms of the kind of attendance that they get on a weekend wine tasting venture. Yep. So they got beat to death with rain this year. Uh-huh. When we were sitting here parched and cracked and begging for mercy, they were getting, you know, like a foot of rain in a day. Wow. So let's just build the pipeline. I love it. You know, let's stop building gas pipelines and oil pipelines and all that stuff. Let's build a water pipeline for wine because you know what? The more wine you drink, the less you care about getting your car and driving someplace and you won't need the fuel. I love it. All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters. Did you have fun? Always have fun here. Always good to stop in and uh, have a drink. Love it. Love it. All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters. We'll see you here next week, same time. And in the meantime, life is way too short to drink anything but outstanding wine. This week's Grape Encounters is down to the last drop. Don't let that trouble you. We're headed down to the wine cellar in search of something remarkably special to share with you next week. Next week.